So we are continuing in our series in the Gospel of Mark this morning. And we come to Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 20. So please turn with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 4. Hear now the eternal living word of God. Again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land, and he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching he said to them, Listen, behold, the sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed Indeed, see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things enter in and choke the word and it proves unfruitful. But those were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. This is the word of the Lord. If you've ever done any gardening, you'll know that there are certain things you need to do in order for plants to grow. Plants need water and nutrients. They need air and soil. They need the right amount of light and the right temperature. They need plenty of space and time to grow. And all these elements need to be done right. And it takes time and skill to do so. There are many things you need to do as a gardener to help plants grow in your garden. But plants will only grow from a seed. 
So that means you can do everything else right. You can get the perfect soil and prepare it well. You can make sure there's plenty of space that you water the soil daily. You can do everything in your power and spend as much time as possible. But if you don't plant the seed, nothing will grow. Without planting a seed, you'll never grow a plant. Without planting a seed, all of your other efforts would just be a waste of time. This morning, continuing in Mark's gospel, and we see at this point in the story, the popularity of Jesus has exploded as the word of his healing and his exercising demons and his ministry has spread throughout Israel and probably beyond at this point. But his earthly opposition from the scribes and the Pharisees has continued to increase as well. And this morning we come to a pretty famous passage, the parable of the sower. And in our passage, Jesus teaches us about the reason he teaches in parables. And he also gives us the answer to two questions about the kingdom of God. How does the kingdom of God grow? And why do people respond so differently to the gospel of the kingdom? And so this is an important point in Mark's gospel. An important point in the story of the ministry of Jesus. Because it's at this point we see Jesus begin to teach primarily in parables. Parables are an interesting and important piece of the ministry of Jesus. They make up a little bit more than a third of the teaching of Jesus in the Gospels. So first we should consider, what is a parable? And there's this typical Sunday school answer that has truth to it. That a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Parables do use real world images that point us to a spiritual reality. But there's a little bit more than that. We can expand on that answer. There's an Anglican priest and theologian named C.F.D. Mule who compared a parable to a political part cartoon in that it presents an interpretive analogy for the viewer to work out its meaning. First by understanding it, then by reacting to it critically, and finally by taking action accordingly. He goes on to say that in a political cartoon, someone who knows nothing, someone who doesn't understand the context, won't see anything but a picture. And they can just either say that they like it or they don't like it. But the informed person, the person that understands the context that the artist is trying to depict, will respond one way or another. This person will not only understand the point of the cartoon, but will agree or disagree in response. They may say, that's so true, I'll never vote for that party again. Or they may think, this really misrepresents their position. I disagree with this analysis. And in, in responding one way or another, there's this communication between the cartoonist and the viewer. And the same is with parables. That parables are the way Jesus has chosen to convey the message of the kingdom of God. And they call for a response. They are an earthly story that point us to a heavenly or a spiritual reality. And they call for a response. And so that's what a parable is. But why does Jesus teach in parables? In our passage today, Jesus himself gives us the answer. And he teaches the purpose in between 
telling the parable of the sower to the crowd and then giving the meaning or the interpretation of it to its disciples. And so the context in Mark's gospel, the backdrop of this passage, gives us some insight into the reason for the parables. So far in Mark's gospel, Jesus had an open preaching ministry. He entered the scene in chapter 1 with a bold and open introduction of his person and his work. At his baptism, it was formally and publicly declared by God the Father that this is my son. Jesus has actively been proclaiming the kingdom of God. He's been preaching from town to town with authority. He's been exercising demons, healing the sick. He's been proclaiming that he is the one bringing the kingdom of God. He's calling people to repent. He's the one with the authority to forgive sins. But not everyone has responded to him in the same way. There's different categories of people in their relationship with Jesus that we talked about last time. There's those who believe him. The crippled man and his friends who dropped them in from the roof. But most importantly, his disciples. They may not have understood everything Jesus was saying. Their faith wasn't fully developed yet. But they believed that what Jesus was telling them was true. They were willing to follow him and trust in him and be his disciples. Then there are the crowds, the multitudes, that we also spoke of a few weeks ago. And There's one gathered in this passage that Jesus is preaching to the parable of the sower. And we don't know too much about them, but as we said, they seem to be a mixed bag. Many of them just seem to be there to see the show. They don't want to know the man Jesus himself. They want to see miracles. They want to see healing the sick. Or maybe even hear him say something controversial and upset the Pharisees. But they're clearly not ready to follow him. They don't necessarily desire to learn from him, to understand what the meaning of his teachings are. Then there are those that oppose him. The Pharisees and scribes, and they claim that Jesus is from Satan. They're against him to the point that they want to kill him. And Jesus is fully aware of all of this. And so this is what's going on when he's asked by his disciples about the parables. And we see in verse 11 that he tells them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive. And may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. Jesus here is quoting from Isaiah chapter 6. And this is when Isaiah was first called to his ministry as a prophet. And he sees God in his throne room. God called Isaiah to be a prophet to Israel, to go preach the word to them. But this act of preaching, God was telling him, will be an act of judgment upon them. The people of Israel have already rejected the truth of the Lord, especially the leaders of Israel. So Isaiah's preaching to them will make them blind. They won't believe it. And so in quoting from Isaiah 6 here, Jesus is telling us one of the reasons he teaches in parables is to conceal the truth from those who oppose him. Just like Isaiah, Jesus is preaching the truth, but he's preaching the truth about himself. And those that oppose him, those that want to kill him, will be blind to this truth. So for those who reject Jesus and his message, parables cloak the truth. They conceal the truth from them. 
those that want to kill Jesus, he hides the truth from them by using parables. But Jesus also tells his disciples, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. They understand that Jesus is giving them the truth about the kingdom. and he, They want him to give them more. He wants to give them more. Jesus teaches in parables so he can continue to teach the truth to those who are his disciples. Those who are inside the kingdom. Specifically, those who want more of the truth. But he has to do so in a way that conceals it from those who are outside the kingdom. Those who don't want to know him or those who want to kill him. Jesus has to fully reveal himself and his mission so that people can understand him, believe him, and follow him. But he has to do so in such a way that at the fullness of time he's going to be put to death. Jesus is fully aware that his mission on earth is to die. And he has to reveal himself and preach the gospel of the kingdom and teach his disciples all on his way to his death and resurrection. But he has people that already want to kill him here in chapter 3. So they're hardened unto judgment. If he reveals himself too openly before it's time, he'll be killed early. That's why he silences the demons when they try to prematurely reveal who he is. He's not ready for that full revelation. So he teaches in parables for the purpose of revealing further truth to those who seek it while concealing it from those that oppose him and oppose the truth. The parables are to both reveal the truth and conceal the truth at the same time. And there's an element of God's judgment in the parables against those who oppose Jesus. They've rejected the clear admonitions of John the Baptist. They've rejected the plain teachings of Jesus about the kingdom of God. They've rejected the call to repent and believe in the truth of the coming of the kingdom. Now the truth will be given to them in parables. The truth will be disguised in story and riddle and metaphor. And this really is the case today. The parables obscure the truth about the kingdom of God from those who reject Jesus, from those who have hardened their hearts to God's truth. If someone is unimpressed or indifferent or take no interest in what the parables might mean or take no interest in Jesus himself who is speaking them, if there's no decision to be made until the evidence is more clear, things will remain unclear. This person will be outside the kingdom of God. But to those whom God has chosen to reveal this truth, to those who have been given the secrets of the kingdom of God, they will be given ears to hear. They will be given eyes to see. So this is what parables are and why Jesus uses them to teach. But what specifically can we learn from the parable of the sower? Jesus gives us the interpretation of this parable in verses 14 to 20. And that, that's an important principle for interpreting parables. That if Jesus tells you what a parable means, go with that. That's what it means. So in his interpretation, the first thing Jesus says is, the sower sows the word. The seed in the parable of the sower is the word of God. And so when we think about the growth of the kingdom of God and the coming 
of the kingdom and its fulfillment, it's done through the word of God. This is the way God is ordained to grow his kingdom. And so that's the first thing we learn from the parable of the sower. The kingdom of God grows through the word of God. The word of God is the seed that's being sown. So before we can even consider the different situations or soils of why the seed grows or not, we must remember that the seed must be sown in the first place before anything will grow. That's why it's the primary function of the church is the ministry of the word and the sacrament, which they are related. The sacrament is connected to the word. And so preaching and teaching and discipling through the word of God and the gospel is what we are about. That is our business. So when we think about all that we do in this church, all of our events and committee and efforts, especially our outreach, we should be considering how does this connect or contribute to the ministry of the word? How does this bring the word to the people or bring the people to the word? Effective outreach to our community means that we are getting people at some point into the ministry of the word of God. They're hearing the gospel. They're coming as disciples under the ministry of the word because without the word of God, the kingdom will not grow. It's what God has chosen to grow his kingdom. And that's what makes our outreach as a church different than secular organizations. Our end goal is to share the gospel so we can make disciples. And make disciples through the word of God. We grow as disciples of Jesus Christ through the ministry of the word and sacraments. We grow in the image of Christ through the ministry of the word and sacraments. And so we as adults need to continue to hear the word of God and grow in our faith. Children need to hear the word of God. That is the word preached in worship, the word taught in Bible lessons. The word of God needs to be taught and discussed at home because the kingdom of God grows through the word of God. And this growth is through the conversion of unbelievers into believers, but also through developing and growing the faith of believers, through discipling believers. The word of God is not only the seed, it's the fertilizer. Our growth as a Christian, our formation into the image of Christ is through the word of God. And that's why it's so important for us as a church to focus on how are we ministering through the word of God. Jesus comes to us in the word of God. And it's our mission to bring Christ to the world, and that happens through, primarily through the Word. We bring the Word to God's people, to the church, and to anyone that will hear. Anyone that has ears to hear. And we need to sow the seed of the Word of God generously, continuously. And so we should be seeing how does this all fit together, what we do as a church for the kingdom of God through the ministry of the Word. Our focus should be on growing the word of God, the fulfillment of the kingdom, which happens through the word of God. Now there's another important piece of this parable, which I haven't really mentioned yet. The soils. Now remember in the context that Jesus is teaching in, there have been several different responses to his teaching and his preaching of the kingdom. The scribes and the Pharisee who opposed him, wanted to kill him. 
his family who, who thought he was crazy and just wanted to take him home. There's the large crowds who show up, but most of them just go back home unchanged. And his disciples who have followed him and want to know him more, they want to learn everything he has to teach. But if Jesus is the promised Messiah, the Christ, the one who has come to usher in the kingdom of God, why are there so many different responses? Specifically, why so much rejection? Even his own people, the leaders of the Jewish community, are the ones who reject him the most. And there's plenty of evidence that what he says is true. His miracles are public. Everyone knows he's doing it, but the scribes attribute it to Satan. Why? Well, Jesus tells us in this parable. As we already discussed, he tells us the seed is the word of God. And now we can discuss that each type of soil relates to a particular response to hearing the word of God. Because all we see is how someone responds. But Jesus tells us why these responses. He tells us what he sees. He gives us a window into the heart of the responder. First, he says that some seed fell along the path. And Jesus tells us that they are the ones who, when they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. The path that is hard. There's no soil there for the seed. This beaten path represents those with hardened hearts. In Jesus' immediate context, this would be the scribes and the Pharisees. They reject Jesus immediately. They say that Jesus himself is from Satan. They want to kill him. When Jesus heals a man with a withered hand on the Sabbath, instead of seeing what this miracle means, they use it to look to trap him. Their hearts are hardened. They can't see or hear the truth. And notice Jesus says, Satan immediately takes away the word. And we see this often in today's world. Those with hard hearts may be those who respond in anger towards Jesus or towards the word of God or the truth. But it can also be those who are indifferent to the word of God. Those who don't need Jesus, they're doing just fine. They just want to talk about something else, anything else other than Jesus, other than the truth from the word of God. All they need is their sports or entertainment or gossip, social media, or whatever worldly idol that they find their fulfillment in. They definitely don't think they need the truth of God's word. They've hardened their hearts towards the truth. So Satan snatches it away every time they hear it. Next, Jesus mentions the seed on rocky ground. This is where it did not have much soil and it immediately sprang up since it had no depth of soil. The sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Jesus tells us that these are the people who hear the word and immediately receive it with joy. But they have no root in themselves. They endure for a while. That's their joy in, in their response to the word. But when trials or, or persecution comes because of the word, because of Christ, they fall away. These are shallow hearts. And this was a common issue in the early church, really any time that there's severe persecution for being a Christian. But it can happen even in our context. Someone has a profession of faith, 
They can even get highly involved and become enthusiastic. But persecution or difficulties because of the gospel, because of Christ, because of the word come, and they fall away. And this could be anything. Something like their friends won't speak to them anymore because they're a Christian. Or maybe their girlfriend or boyfriend doesn't want to be with them anymore if they keep this Jesus thing going. Whatever it is, it immediately causes them to fall away. They're here today, gone tomorrow. Their response is purely emotional. It never penetrated their heart. Their response reached their mind, but they haven't been converted. They like the idea of Jesus as long as he's convenient, but they don't love him. They're not willing to endure affliction for him. As soon as any kind of affliction comes for him, they leave. No matter how small it may seem compared to the glory of the kingdom of God. Third, Jesus mentions that the seed that fell among the thorns. The thorns grew up and choked it and it yielded no grain. He tells us that this represents those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things enter in and choke the word and it proves unfruitful. And this is one that the modern church, especially in America, must heed. The danger of materialism and being worldly, which cramps and cuts out faith. Jesus is speaking of a divided heart. Someone who says they want Jesus, as long as it doesn't interfere with all the other things I got going on. My bank account, my vacations, the lifestyle I like living. They want Jesus, but on certain terms, on their terms. They still need all the things they have going on. It could be nice cars, extravagant vacations or it could just be I would get involved in church more but Susie has dance Johnny has soccer these are the people who are trying to pursue Christ and the cares of the world at the same time and they're ultimately unwilling to take the risk that's required for a commitment to Christ because they don't want to sacrifice their standard of living they don't want to sacrifice the way their life is at the moment. And so Jesus has given us the soils where the seed doesn't take root. These are the hearts that are unchanged by the word of God. It's the hearts of those who are outside the kingdom. It's not that someone is stuck as one of these soils for their whole life. Someone's heart can obviously change. Sometimes that takes decades. But God is the one who changes the heart. He's the one that can change from one state to another. Only God can till the soil and make good soil of someone's heart. But then Jesus tells us about the good soil. This is where the seed produced grain growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. This is the converted heart. This is the heart where the word of God takes deep root. It's a heart that is chained by God and produces a harvest The harvest is the evidence that the word of God has taken root. It's the harvest of good works. It's the harvest of a character that is produced by the spirit. The harvest of love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This heart hears God's word and accepts it. And when trials and tribulations come, they're not deterred. 
When the worries of the world overwhelm them, whether it's desires, wealth, sin, they don't get pulled away completely. They continue in their faith. They hold fast to the gospel. They, they're eager, just like Jesus' disciples, to hear more of the truth. They want God's word in their life. Now, they may stumble and struggle to understand, but they continue to seek God through his word. They ultimately seek Jesus, and knowing him, they have the heart of a believer. And like the disciples of Jesus, they're insiders in the kingdom. They're given the secrets of the kingdom of God. They're given ears to hear, eyes to see. In this parable, Jesus gives us insight into what's going on in the world. Why are the responses to God's word so varied? And as we go on our mission to sow the word, to sow the seed, we will get these responses. We will see those responses. He tells us that there are some who hear and respond to his call, but there are others who don't have ears to hear. Because Jesus himself is the word of God incarnate. Jesus is the ultimate communication from God. To reject Jesus is to reject God and his word. To accept Jesus is to be changed by him. Those who are outside the kingdom reject the word of God. They reject Jesus himself. And so Jesus gave us a few different ways this happened. There's some who reject him outright. There's others who respond to him only when it's convenient. There are those who will follow Jesus as long as they're comfortable. But Jesus is telling us that all of these people are ultimately the same. They've all rejected the word of God. They've rejected the gospel of the kingdom. They've rejected Jesus himself. They're outside the kingdom regardless of what they claim. But those who are inside the kingdom are those who respond to the word of God by bearing fruit. Those who respond to Jesus himself by living the obedient life he has called us to. The obedient life of God's will. You don't earn your way into the kingdom by your response, but your response to a radical new way of living for Jesus as his disciples is the evidence of being inside the kingdom. Is the evidence that God has chosen to reveal the secrets of the kingdom to you. Jesus has brought people into the kingdom of God. He's restoring the kingdom to its proper state. He's bringing about the restoration of all of creation through his death, resurrection, and ultimately upon his return. And so we should continue to seek the kingdom of God by seeking God in his word. We should saturate ourselves with the word of God so that we can continue to be transformed. Our desire as a church should be for the lost to come into the ministry of the word. And our outreach, our ministry should be to proclaim the Gospels and make disciples of Jesus Christ by bringing them into the ministry of the Word and Sacrament so that God can transform him, so that God can grow his kingdom. It's the Word of God that brings you to Christ. And it's Christ who transforms you into his own image. And through being transformed, you can love like Jesus loved. And you can be his agent of change in the world. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we're gathered this morning in your presence to glorify you, to enjoy you. We know that you are the God of all things and you are Lord 
over our lives. We seek the truth of your word so that we can exalt you, the God of the word. And we ask that you transform us through your word, that we may continue to be transformed into the image of your son. Ignite our spirit, Lord. Bring us to a fire in our faith, that we may see the magnitude of your glory, that we may love you with all our heart, our soul, and our mind, that we may love our neighbor as ourselves. And we pray that your word has the effect on our hearts and the hearts of all who hear to change them, to bring about the harvest of good works that you have planned and that your kingdom come through your word. In the name of Jesus Christ, the incarnate word we pray. Amen.